Hi, this is Jim Lebedo, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today is Michael Dalton Johnson. He is an award-winning trade book and magazine publisher and a successful entrepreneur with over 30 years of business leadership. He is the founder of SalesDog.com, an educational marketing website for sales professionals, marketers, and business owners. We're talking to Michael today about his new book, Rules of the Hunt, Real-World Advice for Entrepreneur and Business Success. Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you. 30 years of experience. Man, I'm, I'm getting older than I thought I was. <laughs> That's a lot of wisdom tied up there. <laughs> well, oh, Michael, I'm always curious of what it is that inspires somebody who has 30 years of experience to slow down long enough to put their thoughts on paper. So what was the inspiration behind Rules of the Hunt? Actually, there's two or three sources of the inspiration. First and foremost, I guess, is I, I like to accomplish things. And once I got the concept of the book, the I was off and running. The need to accomplish, I think, was very motivational. Also, without sounding too hokey or corny, I wanted to share something, share something that I knew with others. And third, I guess, was the mild irritation that I feel that causes me to get a bit prickly when I talk with folks, startups, people that are going into business who don't have a concept, don't have a clue. And so I figured the book would have a readership at least in that area, but also for seasoned people, salespeople, marketing people. There's a lot of basic, sometimes counterintuitive advice. We say it's things they don't teach you in business school. But in any event, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Thank you for that. Let's talk about the counterintuitive part. In one part of your book, you say, only work an eight-hour day. Man, and people listening to this right now who may be in that sales marketing or business ownership or startup you just talked about, they're thinking, wow, uh, what have you been doing for 30 years? Because how do you get by with only working an eight-hour day? Well, you get by with realizing or, or actually allotting that much time for you. Once you run out of your allotment, you go home and play with the kids. This forces one to organize their work efforts and to come in, hit the ground running, as they say, and get things accomplished, stop making those long calls, stop surfing the Internet, stop having bull sessions, especially if you're in sales with fellow salesmen, and just concentrate for eight, eight hours. Is an, it's an eternity. As they say in the book, if you don't think eight hours is a long time, fly coach next to a crying baby for eight hours, and you realize just how long the time is. You can get a lot done. And so what I do is I encourage people not to burn out, to go in, to be organized, have a plan, focus on the goals of that plan, and get the job done in eight hours. And it can be done. Is that why in your book you donated a whole chapter to personal survival in the business world? Yes. I have been a victim of my own 
greed and stupidity, for <laughs> for lack of better descriptions, and have done things that when I when I reflect on them, I wish I hadn't. Even though they turned out to to make money, it's easy to, without sounding too melodramatic, it's easy to sacrifice your life on the altar of business and profit. It, in fact, easier than you might expect to get too focused. And so I came up later with the eight hours. I was with that rule. And it worked so well for me. I was shocked. And as I say, this was 20 years ago. But when I started doing it, nothing diminished as far as profits and, and production. The same with vacations. People need vacations. They need to disconnect from work. And I, I really believe that you'll get more work done in 49 weeks than you will in 52 weeks because you recharge your yourself and you and you clear and, you, and you'll come back to your work after say a week in the woods <laughs> with a much clearer focus and much much more energy i think that's good advice taking time out to recharge the battery is definitely an important especially you're in your leading an organization and trying to get something going in the right direction a lot of your book talks about sales and the importance of sales And a portion of our audience, I know, Michael, are sales professionals and sales leaders. In your experience, what's one of the biggest mistakes that sales professionals make? Well, surprisingly, it goes back to something very basic, which has been taught. You can't pick up a sales book without it being mentioned, the subject being mentioned. It's universally taught, in fact, and even though it's been repeated (laughs) endlessly, there are so many salespeople who forget a basic concept of sales, which is sell the benefits. Do not sell the features. I take all sales calls when people, you know, it's somebody I don't know. It's John Smith from New York City calling for me, and he says he has an offer for you. Well, okay, I'll take the call. Hi, John. It's Mike Johnson. What what have you got? (laughs) And I'll sit back and listen to them, listen to how they phrase their, their pitch. And it's amazing how many people, telesales, in person, even car dealerships, if you walk through the door, don't start talking immediately with benefits. The question that has to be answered and that many salespeople do not answer is, what's in it for me? And if you have what's in it for me covered, you're going to make the sale. And the more that's in it for them and the more succinctly, dramatically it's put, the quicker the sale will come. Do you find, though, Michael, that a lot of people, especially let's say the startups, don't understand what the benefits are? They're just out selling this great idea or great product? I'm just saying it's easy to slip into features. Our lawnmower has a wider cutting area any lawnmower on the market. It's got a larger catch bag. It's got a bigger engine. Okay, big deal. How does this benefit me? They should tie in the benefits of those things. We have a wider cutting area, which means less time mowing your lawn. The catch bag's larger, fewer times to empty the the bag. The the larger four-stroke engine, hey, this thing's going to last forever. You're making an investment here. 
that you're not going to have to worry about for a long time. So in any event, benefits, those are not probably the most exciting benefits <laughs> I could come up with. No, but, but I, I, think they, I think you made your point on that. Let's talk about the entrepreneurs for the second. What's the one question that you must answer both in your business and your personal life? Well, it, of course, that's what's in it for me. Anything from pr- proposing marriage, and although it sounds very crass, on one level, you must answer what's in it for me. And whether you were proposing marriage or you're introducing a product <laughs> to the market, it's uh, human beings are all looking for what's in it for me. Now, it may be something very gentle. Why do I give money to charity? What's in it for me? Well, it's a good feeling. You're giving back. You feel good about yourself. There is actually something in it for you. And across the board, think about it, whether you're buying breakfast or buying a penthouse in New York City, there has to be a clear what's in it for me element or question being answered. My girl's not going to marry you unless there's something in it for her. (laughs) And sometimes they keep asking themselves that question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it may not be money. You know, it might be, well, there's a lot of things that might be, but there's something, trust me, there's always, you can't name one human interaction or transaction that doesn't on some level, on some level, answer that question. Michael, in your book... It's just full of really sound advice. It's broken out into chapters, and it's well-organized. And a couple things I just want you to comment on from the leadership standpoint. First of all, you write as one of your rules, get a great assistant. Well, you must have some experience based on that. That's why you wrote it. So what can you tell our audience about the importance of having a great number two person right there next to you? Well, nothing really in the workplace is more expensive than incompetence. I tell people to pay a little bit more, pay 10% more than than the job market, in quotes, might dictate. Also, a, a really good assistant, a well-paid assistant, an intelligent assistant, is money in the bank. If you're taking one of those vacations, I, I advise, if something comes up when you're not available and they have the common sense, the skills, the experience to handle the issue, obviously that's, you know, that's priceless. So, And your assistant, incidentally, says something very subtly about you, about your judgment, because of the excellence of the person that you or the people that you are surrounding yourself with. And this goes not only to an assistant but to virtually everyone If you're building a business, everyone who is in the business representing you should make a statement about your company, about the quality and the intelligence of the company. Is that why one of your recommendations in the book, or I should say one of your rules in the book, is to hire for traits and not necessarily degrees? Well, yes, it is. I have found that the personality traits of a person are far, far greater than in importance than simply having a degree. A lot of, forgive my prickly description, but a lot of people who have degrees are idiots or incompetent. I'll be, I'll be softer with it. They're incompetent. I've seen 
medical doctors. In fact, we lived next door to both husband and wife were medical doctors, and they allowed their kids to play in the street unsupervised and when they were quite small. And I never did understand that. You have these intelligent, accomplished, degreed people who weren't using common sense. So when you're hiring somebody, I, I, I take a look at them not from so much from the point of Unless it's something super technical. Obviously, if you, you need an engineer, you, you can't hire the kid from the liquor store, which I've done as a salesman. If you need a technical slot filled, you need somebody that understands, obviously, technical issues. But general people, sales, office, marketing, those kinds of folk, look for the personality traits. Look for loyalty. How do you... How do you put a price tag on loyalty or competence or, you know, steadfast devotion to your idea? And the answer, of course, is that you can't. You need people with those personality traits. And it's your job to be able to find them. As I mentioned, I went into a liquor store every night for an iced tea on my way home for a long time. And there was a clerk in there, John. And John was a young kid going to college. Interesting, intelligent, very gregarious, very out, outgoing, and he befriended me. And as I say, he was much younger than me, and I had a slot open in, in my telemarketing group. And I thought, yeah, where am I going to go? I'm going to have to start interviewing people. And then I thought about John, and essentially I'd been interviewing him for a couple of years. And so I, I said, hey, how would you like to have a career change? We talked. He wanted the change, more money. And he came aboard, was wonderfully, took the training and wonderfully productive. And went on to, after a couple of years, he left us and started his own company and is successful to this day. So in any event, liquor store clerk. I could have probably got somebody with an advanced degree in marketing. You know, they just don't give degrees in life or personality. You can't get a degree that says uh, <laughs> or that would indicate that you are, have the traits, the, the human uh, traits, the rubber meets the road traits of common sense and, you know, as I say, friendliness. How do you teach that? The, the Irish say there are three things that can't be taught which are a singing voice, poetry, and generosity. And, of course, they're right. How do you teach, as an example, generosity? So look for the traits, I guess, bottom line, scraping all of that away, going right to the core of the advice, is look for traits. I think that's sound advice and looking for those traits that you know that the role is going to take in order to be successful. In your book, like I said, it's, it's, it's broken out into some great subject matters and a lot of rules underneath it. And, of course, one of the chapters is avoiding the pitfalls. And so if there was one pitfall from the book that you'd want to tell our business leaders to avoid, what would be the one to avoid? Well, it sounds pretty basic, but it's far more complicated than it sounds. And that would be approaching something that, the big from an entrepreneurial standpoint it's easy to sell yourself. And I guess it's not being realistic as to where you are in business, not seeing, forgive the fortune cookie philosophy, but not seeing the end from the beginning. And I can't tell you how many people I talk to that are 
ready to launch, excited. They've had all of the support of their family and friends who are telling them this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, go for it. They're undercapitalized. They don't see, they dive is what I'm saying. They dive into the swimming pool. It doesn't always have quite enough water to support that dive. So what I'm saying is test, retest, get your plan together, make darn sure the market's out there, make darn sure you have enough money to access it. I guess, as I say, that's all common sense, but it's amazing how many people will borrow money from friends and family, will really, as I say, dive off that high dive with no, very little water in the pool. And you, you cringe when you see them. Do. I, I cringe when I, I'll look at business plans and I'll talk with people that have been have sold themselves and they're excited and their ego involved and they're very hard to talk to. Oh no, no, that won't happen. And <laughs> so, in any event, and going back to your first question, that was a little bit of why I wrote this book, dealing with folks like that. In your book, I have to tell you that you know we had talked previously. And one of the suggestions, I think we talked about it or it was in your book, calculate the cost of your business by the hour. Yes. Well, after we first talked, uh, I went and did that. And then I went to my office manager and I said, look at this figure. <laughs> this is what it means to you know, run this business uh, by the hour. What I noticed was that it, boy, it sure added urgency to my day. So I just wanted to give you some feedback that, that at least one of your rules was followed when I read the book here. Uh, actually, I should say more of those. But I want to pass along to the audience the impact that has had, and I pass that advice along to some of my own acquaintances that have you calculated what your business costs by the hour. It, it definitely gets your attention and, and it requires you to uh, create some urgency around what you're doing every hour in the workday. Is there any other financial advice like that. And again, that seems so commonsensical, but very few of us do it. So do you have another piece of advice that is along those lines that we sh the numbers or the calculations we should be watching? Well, just to return to that for a moment. Um, sure. I advised a company some years back, a couple of young guys. They had a software company, and they were always strapped for cash. And the production of what they were doing it really, when you scraped it all away, they needed better marketing, but, which I was able to give to them. But they also had horrible time management. So we did that exercise. We, we figured out salary, rent, every possible expense, put an hourly value on that, what did they have to bring in, actually posted that number, posted it in their offices and in various, the sales bay and in various places and let the whole outfit know, hey guys, this is what we have to, and it was a fairly healthy number, this is what we have to generate every hour. So while I don't think it caused desperation or panic or anything else, it did focus people. And they would understand your intolerance for a 20-minute conversation among employees about Monday Night Football. And so, as an example, I think it focused people and it, and it worked. Beyond that, learn to negotiate. People pay too much, generally. And almost everything, I, I once consulted to a company and 
leaving, I asked him, what, I asked the owner, what is the core message, the core, the greatest thing I taught you while I was here? And he smiled and said that everything is negotiable. And people, either through civility or lack of interest, don't cut the best deals they can cut for themselves. And there's a lot of tricks to it. If you're buying something, ask, what's your cash price on this? Don't ask for, can I get a discount? A discount is something they give. Cash is something they receive. Dangle something they'll receive out there. And you know, as silly as it sounds, you're not buying it on, on credit. So the, the whole thing of what's your cash price for this is they're selling it for, <laughs> for cash. But you'll see prices drop if you ask for the discount. I've got a whole section in there about different ways you can get in the book, different ways that you can get people to lower their prices. I consulted to one guy. Listen to this. He's paying $10,000 a month too much for for printing. And I showed him a bid from another company. I can get your magazine printed here for, you know, it was like $9,700 less per month. It was a monthly magazine. That's a lot of money. And his response is, but Harry's my friend. And so I, I kind of laughed and said, hey, I'll be your friend for ten grand a month. <laughs> we finally got him to switch over. We actually got the value of, or actually the quality of the magazine improved, and the cost dropped. And he could use that money for to build his business. So in any event, there's lots of things around there. You should occasionally look at what am I spending for this? Is is there a way to get it cheaper? Rebid things. Negotiate with attorneys. I, you know, I. They need twelve hundred dollars to review your contracts or whatever. Tell them no. I'll give you a grand. And again, it's simple. People. Oh yeah, I'd do that. But they don't. People go go forward with their business, essentially paying retail. Hey, you're a businessman. Pay wholesale for services. Every lease I've ever negotiated for office space. I have had them throw in three months where I don't have to pay any, you know, as part of the deal. It's amazing. If they want you in there, times are tough. They want to fill that office up. They want to get cash flow started. And you say, okay, but I'm going to need three months to sign the lease. <gasps> three months? We can't do that. But we can do two. Okay, fair enough. I'll take the two. <laughs> yeah. So in your case, what you've learned is it just, in most cases, it's just a failure to ask. Exactly. Part of your book, you focus on the fact of making sure you get the pricing right, making sure you're not hiding from buyers, making sure that you have the correct web presence. And I'm going to bundle all that stuff into what I would call marketing, Michael. So what advice do you give people around the marketing of their business? Well, probably... One of the more subtle things you can do when you're marketing a business, whether you're reintroducing a product, starting a product or service, is to sit down and write a headline for your company. Sounds silly, 
but it's a good exercise. And that headline should have a benefit, an, an interesting point. It should have something that would draw someone's attention in and go, oh, once you've done that, you can get focused on then reducing the, uh, your marketing message down to a few sentences. You should be able to, if you can't describe, years ago they used to say if you can't describe what you're doing in seven words or less, you've got a problem. In copywriting, when you're, when you're writing business copy, which is what my, copy, copywriting and advertising copy is what my background really is. And you have to have a succinct, powerful message that goes and people go, aha, Okay, people are very uninterested in who you are, surprisingly. And obviously, if you are a, offering psychiatric services, yeah, you better talk a little bit about who you are and your qualifications. But, you know, the fact that our president, I, I go to a lot of websites that start talking about themselves immediately, do not have that focused sweet spot where people come in and they go, oh, that's why I'm here. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. Here's more about, here's the benefits of ownership. Here's how I get it. Here's the phone number I call, an email. I mean, shop cart I go to. The price seems right. It's competitive. These people look like they've got their act together. They've got the logos of the credit cards they use are up. They've got their security certificate up. They've got a guarantee that's strongly stated. And they've got a few testimonials uh, sprinkled around. Well, how much better than somebody, and I see a lot of sites where people go and, our president, Justin Smith, uh, founded this company in, you know, okay, I don't care about Justin. I don't care when your company was founded. I don't care what your mission statement is. I don't care anything about what you're telling me in background. I want to know what's in it for me. <laughs> so that, I would uh, advise people to get very focused on what it is they're doing, the benefit to their customer, and go forward with that as a streamline what you're doing, streamline your message. Marine engineers, people who build submarines, those sorts of things have a somewhat funny expression they use, which is, water does not like to be surprised. Well, markets don't want to be surprised, and, or as far as getting the message to someone, you don't want right-angle appendages to your submarine. You want it sleek. You want it to cut through the water. You want it to deliver the payload of benefits and credibility enhancers. I've come up with that term. How do you in, in, enhance your credibility in the marketplace? With using the aforementioned things that I talked about. Our guest is Michael Dalton Johnson. Don't forget that BizTalk podcast will be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, and you can now follow us on Twitter at biztalk1040. Well, Michael, is there one question I should have asked you that I haven't asked you yet? Well, my favorite subject is the central law of leadership, which is... And this is one of the counterintuitive things, or at least something that not too many people have given a lot of thought to. And 
in order to lead effectively, don't tell people what to do. Tell them who they are. And when people first hear that advice, they sometimes scratch their head and, uh, what are you talking about? Well, an example would be is you're at the DMV. You're having a problem with a form. You approach the clerk with something of a frown, puzzled look on your face, and you say to her, I'm having problems with this. I can't figure this, this form out. And she looks at you and says, the instructions are on the reverse, sir. Looks past you, says to the next person in line, next. Essentially, you were blown off. You were gotten rid of, and you still have the questions. Now, the same scenario. You've got a problem with form that you're filling out. It's confusing, and you're not quite sure, and you don't want to screw it up. You approach the same clerk, but this time you're smiling, and you say, somewhat folksy, you look like the person who can help me with this. And they want to then, you've told them who they are at that point. The first scenario, it was all about you and your problem. The second, it's about them and their skills and ability to help you. They will, at that point, most people that you're talking with will smile. Let me see what you've got there. Oh, what you do here, sir, is you put this here and here. There, can I help you with anything else? You've told them up front who they are. They're the person who can help you, and they want to prove you right. If you tell a person you're very competent, you're the one person in this organization I can trust to get this report out by next Friday, they're going to smile, they're going to sit up a little straighter, and they're going to take it and go, and they're going to prove you right. That's what they want to do. So you've told them who they are versus that same person coming into your office and you're saying, Bob, I need to get this out by next Friday. And they sigh and look at it and, you know, say, okay, they don't want to do it and they probably won't do as good a job. Had you used, you, you came to mind as the one person in this organization with the skills to get this out, you know. And again, they want to prove you right. So in any event, I hope I haven't overworked that point, but don't tell people what to do. Tell them who they are. I think that's great advice, Michael. Our guest is Michael Dalton Johnson. His book is Rules of the Hunt, Real-World Advice for Entrepreneurial and Business Success. Michael, if people wanted to learn more about the book, where would they go? Well, they would go to Amazon and, and punch in Rules of the Hunt, and it would come up. And we have tons of endorsements from big organizations, Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, Jeff Gittimer. Go and read what they have to say about the book. They could also go to rulesofthehunt.com. I don't know when you, depends on when they're hearing this, when the person is hearing this. If they were to go right away, they could get six, $700 worth of free sales training goodies from all of my partners. I'm not sure how long that deal will be on. And so, but we'll have something up there. We'll have some sample pages at rulesofthehunt.com that they can look at. Right now, they would, get, they would see the offer. You buy the book through Amazon, come back, 
put your receipt number into the form. Click a button and get instant access to a lot of goodies, some surprisingly nice things such as hardcover books and things you wouldn't associate with a book launch. But in any event, rulesofthehunt.com or simply Amazon, look for Rules of the Hunt. Great. Michael, thanks for being on the program. Well, thank you. And I hope I haven't sounded too professorial or put too much time into some of the answering some of your questions. It's great fun. I love, as you can probably tell, I love talking. <laughs> so <laughs> talk shows are my one of my favorite venues. No, I think all your advice is spot on. Thank you. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.